Hello. We want to thank you for joining our Living Messiah family by downloading this podcast. We hope it blesses you and enriches your life. We also want to encourage you, uh, if you can, and if your heart is so moved, to support this ministry by going on our website, livingmessiah.com, and donating to help us to put these podcasts in every nation, every place, so we can bring these messages to change lives, to help people grow in the Word of God. Once again, thank you so much for being part of our family. Shalom. Father, we thank you for the reading of your word. Open our eyes and our ears to the things you want to teach us today. May we hear from you. May your spirit guide and direct every word. Father, where we need correction, where we need adjustments, Father, may your spirit bring conviction that we might line our convictions up with yours. May we line up our opinions with yours. May it not be that our opinions are contradicting yours. So we glorify you and praise your master in your son Yahushua's name. Amen. So, by the way, I we're on a three-year cycle, so I didn't know if you knew that, but that's why if you're on the one-year, you see that we're a little bit different. Um, so... <laughs> This is a very interesting, and I, I find it interesting that, <clears throat> number one, you stated that it's this event is for the support of our brothers in Israel, uh, which I believe 100% as well. I stand with that 100%. And we don't pick the portion. We're at a portion here that is a very, would seem to be, one-sided war that you make would make you wonder what the people today would say about this event. And so we're at the gates of the promised land. They're about to go in. And this happens. We're at the gates of the promised land and the Most High is going to remind them of some things before entering, before coming in and, because remember, they're going to ante up again. They're going to circumcise themselves. They're going to uh, renew the covenant once they get over on the other side. Joshua's going to uh, white, he's going to put white paint on the stones and, and they're going to write the commands on it. So why is God not only reminding them of vows and all these other things, but why is it that God is going to tell Moshe that you need to go and you need to exact vengeance on the Midianites before you cross over? Very interesting. So let's dig in. So I want to welcome everyone online that's joining us. Welcome everyone here. We're glad that you're here to fellowship with us and to join and learn. I'm glad that Bob and Tammy and uh, Sierra are back. It's good to have them back. It's nice to see you again. So hopefully you'll be getting involved in the study today as always, so it's good to see you. All right. And others that I haven't seen in a while. Jessica, welcome. Good to see you. Um, so we're going to talk about those things. I've already given you a prelude of what we're going to talk about, so let's jump into verse 3 of, of Numbers, um, chapter 30. So person by person, if he vows a vow, the word for vow is nadar, and our root connotes the act of verbally consecrating or devoting to the service of God, vowing to perform. And you need to see this because the vows that are being talked about are not just something that you're vowing to someone else. Most of the vows are, are, are dealing with the vows that we make to him, the vows that are upward uh, direction. That's what these vows are talking about. As you can see here, it's the, the, the these are these this idea of Nadar is the consecrating, devoting to the service of God, vowing to perform them, to make an offering, or to abstain from something, especially the general uttering of oaths and curses as part of that larger category, to be bound or joined to or in, which we need to be careful about joining with someone else in their oath or their vow. I could say a lot about that. Man, I could say a lot about that. A closer description occurs in Numbers 30, our portion, where Nadar 
is to swear to God with an oath and to bind oneself with what proceeds from one's mouth. You probably remember the, the, the man that's vowing that the first thing he sees he's going to give and consecrate to God and he, he gets home and it's the first thing he sees is his daughter. And of course she's not being vowed to being sacrificed, she's being vowed to service at the temple for the rest of her life, meaning she can't, she won't be married again, which is a tragic thing. So she'll be a virgin for the rest of her life, serving the Most High, kind of like uh, Samuel was devoted, consecrated for a lifelong service to the Most High. So you can kind of see what this is. So the biblical vow is always to the deity, never a promise between man and man. So you need to get that in your mind, especially when we're dealing with the nullifying the vows of a man's wife. Okay. So verse 2, if a man makes a vow to Yahweh or takes an oath to bind, this word bind is asar and it's a verb. But you can see this word change in two things. It says, take an oath to bind himself with a binding. So we have a verb and a noun present with the same word. A binding obligation. He shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. If you have comments or questions, raise your hand. The microphone will make its way to you. And we can hear you, uh, the things that the Most High has enlightened you with. So the word violate here is to desecrate or profane. Desecrate or profane is violate. The word bind here is to harness, gird, imprison, to render similarly tie bind. So one usage refers to binding oneself with an oath or obligation, and a number of Hebrew words indicate the concept of binding, such as uh, to fasten and to tie up. Shabbat shalom. Kimosabi. So he shall not violate his word. The meaning here is to break in the sense of render null and void. It is used in relation to the covenant of Yahweh through its violation by the people of Elohim. And you can see the references. Conversely, Yahweh's guarantee is to never break his covenant with his people. And it's indicated. I really, I didn't even think about, I just want to share with you how God works. So, in the song that we played that Gary sings today, uh, How Firm a Foundation, at the end, you heard him say, I never, will never, will never forsake. It's exactly what's being said here. God's not going to forsake. We can trust that he's going to be the one to fulfill promises, covenants, obligations. He's not going to be like man who's going to make a mistake and not do it. He's going to be there. How many of you are glad that he will be there and is there for you? We can trust that. So Leviticus 26, 44 says, Yet all, for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not spurn them, neither will I abhor them. And remember, they've been scattered to the land of the enemies because of their waywardness, because of their wickedness, because they are, they've rejected him. They've turned their back on him. But yet, even though they have done those things, he says, in the land of your enemies, I am still not going to forsake you or reject you. Because I will, I will not spurn them, neither I will abhor them as to destroy them utterly and break my covenant with them, for I am Yahweh their Elohim. Can we bank on that? Yes, we can. I am going to. I bank on that, that he's not going to turn away from me. In my sin, he revealed himself to me. He made known to me himself in my wickedness. Just like them, in the land of their enemies, he reveals himself. He does not change. If you have comments or questions, raise your hand. Matthew 5.33, which is our New Testament portion, it says, again, you have heard that the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to whom? Again, we can see it's referring to the vows to him. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of Elohim. So our word vow here is the Greek word that means to swear falsely, forswear oneself. Oath means uh, 
to an enclosure, confinement, an oath by metonymy, that which has been pledged or promised with an oath. And then you can see this idea of to swear, to affirm. In swearing, to call a person or thing as a witness, to invoke or swear. Very interesting. I like clarity. I want to know what the words mean. I want to know without any doubt what is being said to me here. And the only way to do that is to get the right definition of what the words are saying. That way we have clarity of what's being told and what's being said. You guys are quiet. Verse 3. Also, if a woman makes a vow to Yahuwah, binds herself in an obligation in her father's house and her youth, and her father hears her vow and her obligation by which she has bound herself, her father says nothing to her, he's silent, then all the vows that she has said will stand, and every obligation that she has bound herself will stand against her. Dad's silent. If you're a dad, have you ever, or even a mom, I mean, we've, we've done this even before we knew the, the, what the scriptures say. As a parent, we'd say, you need, to, you need to take that back. You need to, you know, I bind that. You need to re- renounce that, retract that what you said. That's not right. So vow obligation, the former represents a promise to do, the latter a promise to abstain. The vows mentioned in this passage refer mainly to promise to him, the Most High, where a woman says with respect to the shlamim that were incumbent upon me today, I fulfill my vows. So his word, it's regularly used to divine prophecy. So you can see Deuteronomy 9, 5, and 2, Samuel 7, 25. So this would suggest that the word of Eli was understood by Hannah. We're talking about this incident with Eli and Hannah. That as a prophecy, this prophetic formula may be a pious revision of the manuscript variant found in the Septuagint and the Qumran fragment. The utterance of your mouth, that version has... Elkanah confirming and not canceling his wife's vow. This procedure, a man's vow, is called the utterance of his mouth like the formulation from Qumran. So the utterance of his mouth is the confirming or the canceling of the oath. You can go back to uh, the scripture in that refers to Eli and Hannah in that to see the how that played out. If you have questions or comments, get involved. Verse 5, but if her father should forbid her on the day he hears it, none of her vows or her obligations by which she has bound herself shall stand, and Yahweh will forgive her because her father has forbid it. And we'll look at the word for forbid here. Yes. So I have a question about a vow. To, so to be clear, are these vows, because, you know, sometimes people will speak out something in anger or in emotion. Uh, would that be considered a vow, or is it more specific than that? Yeah, I, from what I've, my study, the word here is referring to the vows made to him. And just like I pointed out, that the, I can't remember the man's name who made the vow that I will consecrate the first thing I see. Remember, that was to him. But if you remember in the context of that, it was called a rash statement. Here later, you're going to see that this idea of vows can be, determined, uh, can be called a rash statement. Meaning, I said something that, you know, I've sworn something to him or I've said something in swearing an oath to God and I did it really not thinking about it. I, I, and we see the, the warning from Yahushua on being careful about what we make oaths and swear to. Yeah, so you got to be watchful. Watch what, and I would say probably most people do that most of the time out of, Rash meaning anger or not thinking, just just spur of the moment, saying something, and then, uh-oh. Today's society, it's like, eh, it's no big deal. I can take it back. It's not a big deal. But that's not what God says. If it's come out of your mouth, it's a big deal. And he's, it's, he's recorded it, and it's held against you. Yeah, big deal. So the word forbid here is 
refuse, deny, or reject in the Septuagint, in the, in the Greek. Verse 6, however, if she should marry while under her vows, or the, here's that word, rash statement of her lips by which she has bound herself, and her husband hears of it and says nothing to her on the day that he hears it, her vows are going to stand. And so here we see this word rash is thoughtlessly. Now let's be honest. How many of you said something that didn't have to be to God? Now I'm, I would like to think that my thoughtless things, and, and I'm sure that the Almighty would probably bring a few to my mind that I did to, in upward that was thoughtless, but I do know that I've said things to mankind thoughtlessly out of anger, out of frustration or whatever, just the, the words come out and you said it and oh, oh, and now you've hurt somebody uh, and now you've got to, it's got to be corrected, right? Got to be corrected. So a derivative of this word is uh, mipta, rash utterance, but the main thing is it's a thoughtless statement. You weren't thinking, I mean, had that gentleman been thinking about, you know, what if my daughter came out? Maybe I better... Maybe I better watch what I'm saying here. He could have tweaked it a little bit differently that it, it wouldn't have gone that way. You know what I'm saying? So just, again, thinking about what we're going to say. Verse 8. But if, there's that word if, on the day that her husband hears it, he forbids her, then he shall annul her vow which she is under and the rash statement of her lips which she has bound herself and Yahweh will forgive her. Anol here is parar, to destroy and invalidate. If he invalidates, I'm going to invalidate. Now, how can he do that? The Almighty has given the husband the authority to invalidate a rash statement that his wife has made. He has given the father of the household the authority to nullify a rash statement that his daughter has made. Why is he doing that? Why would a dad do that for his daughter? Because he knows that she did something that she shouldn't have said, and he better cancel it real quick before God Almighty holds her to it. He's doing it out of love, isn't he? Dad's doing it to the daughter because he's, he's, he loves her, and he realizes with his wisdom and her youth, she didn't think about it, and he realizes, I need to cancel that. That wasn't right. That, that's going to be expensive to her. It's going to hurt her. And I don't want to see my daughter hurt. Yes. There are really a lot of layers to every piece of scripture. And this, but if on the day her husband hears of it, Yahuwah hears us speak a rash statement, <laughs> <laughs> and then he shall annul her vow. So because Yahuwah came down to earth in flesh, We have that forgiveness, and that's the same thing that happened here. Her husband forgave her. Our husband, Yeshua or Yahuwah, whatever level you're speaking, we are forgiven yep. for those right statements if we confess yep. and return. What a, what a wonderful thing to know that our husband has chose to nullify the rash statements that we've made that were contrary to his word or nullify the divorce certificate. Yes. Well, yeah, I was just going to speak on that. I figured you would. That's why I kind of started it for you. You know, when they, when, when, when they said, all that you say we will do at Mount Sinai, that was a vow. Yes, it by was. By our forefathers. Because it was to him, wasn't it? That's right. And then... Thank the Almighty that he gave us Leviticus 46, I mean, Leviticus 40, 45, uh, 40 through, I mean, 26, 40 through 45. He gave us a clause in there that allowed us to return if we were divorced. He, he gave us that because he knew we were going to blow it. Yeah. And so that's, that's what a loving father would do. Yes, he does. Amen to that. I am so glad that he loves us and puts the clauses in there to help the people that are weak and thoughtless in our words. 
Verse 13, every vow and every binding oath to humble herself, her husband may confirm, or you know, the word confirm here is to, is kum, which means to arise and make stand. It's going to be, it's, it's going to be solid. It's going to be like pouring a pillar of concrete. It's, it's done. Done. You know, it takes, when you read this stuff, it takes a whole new meaning. You realize, man, I, my words are very, very important. I've got to watch my lips and what I say. This, is, this isn't just something floating out in air. This is heavy-weighted things that God's watching and listening to every one of us all over the earth, every word, everything that comes out of our mouth. But if he indeed annuls them after he has heard them, then he shall bear her guilt. What does that mean? So she made the oath. A couple of days go by, and he says, ah, I'm, I'm deciding to annul them. Uh-uh-uh. You want to annul those vows after the fact? Now, your papa or husband, you're going to bear it. If you're going to annul it, you better do it right when you hear it. Don't wait a day. Don't wait two days. Annul it then, otherwise you're going to bear the guilt. Someone's going to bear it, Mike. Can you hear me? Oh, I, in the case of Adam and Eve, when Eve ate the fruit, it says she gave it to her husband and he ate. So what if he said, no, wait a minute, this ain't right, we can't do this. So he had the ability then to take back what she just did had he done that. Of course, we know he didn't do that, but, and then later when uh, he was confronted, he said, well, it was the woman. She gave me the fruit. Well, by then, it's too late. So, too late. And but, now, but he had an opportunity. And so does he bear the guilt because he tried he to do it? He bears the guilt, yeah. Yeah. So this word for bear is the word nasa, to carry, to take, and the word guilt is avon, iniquity. But it also means punishment. You bear the punishment of what's been said. Ooh. And like was said earlier, I'm glad that my king has bore the punishment on the stake for me for all the things that I said that I didn't fulfill. Because we all say it, Shavuot and the mikvah, all that he says we will do, and we're bearing it. So I want to remind you uh, in verse 16 here, these are the statutes, and I put the word covenant here for a reason. I'm going to explain that here for a reason. These are the statutes which Yahuwah commanded Moshe is between a man and his wife and is between a father and his daughter while she is in her youth in her father's house. Why is it a covenant? Because the Greek word here for statutes is the Greek word dakaioma or dakaiomata. And it says that whenever this word is in a plural form, which it is in this verse, it is used of the divine precepts of the Mosaic law. So that's the covenant. So... These, this is the covenant between father and daughter and between husband and wife. This is the covenant between them. And it's, it's, it's weighty. I mean, that's why the vows are important because this is covenant stuff. I don't know if I should say this or not. Probably shouldn't. <laughs> yes. Huh? I usually don't say things that are in a that could be construed as political, so I'm I'm being very careful here. Um it says uh these are the statues, which is the covenant. Is it every time we see the word statues in scripture that it is the covenant? No. Okay. But in Revelation 19, verse 8 and 9, when it says the bride is putting on the fine linen and the fine linen is the righteousness, it is that word there, the deeds of the Torah. It is is. what? That word for righteousness in Revelation 19, 8 or 9, when it says the bride will put on the fine linen and the fine linen is the righteousness, that word for righteousness there is that word dekayomata in the plural form which means she's putting on the deeds of the Mosaic law. That's her fine linen. 
right in Revelation. It's the deeds of the Torah. So in Revelation, well, it is. I, I put it here. So Revelation 19, 7, it says, Thus, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, has made his bride, uh, has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the dakaiomata, acts of the saints, the divine precepts of the Mosaic law. In other words, she's putting the covenant on. She's, just as it says, these is, this is the statutes between man and woman, She's putting on the statutes and the, the covenant between her, us, and him, the husband. That's important. Huge. So, yes, very, very big, important covenant. What I was going to say was, maybe I can say it in a way that's... So there is a... I was talking to my sister. She lives in Killeen, Texas, which is... Uh, in the exact path of the eclipse that's coming in two months. And it goes right over, the, 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 the totality goes right over her house. And how many of you know that uh, the 20 the something governors met in Eagle Pass, Texas? So did you know that Eagle Pass, Texas is the exact spot that the, the dark part of the, the eclipse enters into the United States? It goes right over Eagle Pass, Texas? I don't even think they realized that when they were meeting there. Now, when that eclipse takes place in two months, it forms the Aleph and the Tav over the United States. The Tav was there from the two previous ones seven years ago, and the one that happened in October formed the Tav. But this one completes the Aleph and Tav over the United States, which is the strong leader of the covenant. And I wondered as I thought about that, here's a man standing for a principal down there in Eagle Pass, the governor, and is he the strong leader of the covenant? meaning the United States Constitution is a form of a covenant, and he's standing for the terms and the words of that covenant. Very interesting. My sister said, yes, I think you're right. So this is where it's going to get heavy, weighty. Please chime in if you'd like. And this has to do with what you guys are standing for over there and what we stand for here. And Yahweh spoke to Moses saying, exact the vengeance on the sons of Israel from the Midianites and at last you shall be added to your people. He doesn't want Moshe to enter into the next stage of life until he exacts vengeance. Anybody have any thoughts on that? Why, is he, why does he want Moses? Why doesn't Joshua do it? Why does he want Moses to do it? Any thoughts? Go ahead, Mike. Well, one thought I had was possibly because Moses is related to the Midianites. He's married to a <laughs> Wittenite woman, and he was very That's close right. to his, his father-in-law, Jethro. Yeah. So there's that. Yes. Good, Mike. I hadn't thought about what he just said, but isn't it also because he was going to be, he, God wanted, just wanted him to do the one more thing to do just because he was, because he couldn't enter into the kingdom. You know, I, th I thought about this. So you remember how the Almighty says that he, he sanctified the children of Israel with the death of the firstborn of, of Egypt? So is Moses getting a little bit of atonement with what he does here? I don't know. But he wants him to do it. You remember Moses, he can't go in because of something he did or didn't do. And is this, I don't know. Phinehas, he drove the spear, and it was the, the Most High was pleased with what he did. So the word for vengeance is nakam, and it means to take vengeance, revenge, avenge oneself, to punish someone. And one of the derivatives of it uh, is nakama, which means vengeance. So most of the uses of our word involve God as the source of the vengeance. The classical passage is Deuteronomy 32, 35. Vengeance is mine. I will recompense them who hate me. Now, God is saying, I'm going to take vengeance on the people who hate me. So if the, if the Midianites did something to his possession, who did they really do it to? They did it to the Most High, didn't they? As, they, as he says to, to Miriam and Aaron, 
if you're complaining to Moses, you're not complaining to him. You're complaining to me, Yahuwah. That's who you're complaining to. So if, we, if we're going to take action against a people of God, we're actually doing it against him. That's very heavy in light of the current things that are happening worldwide. God cannot be true to his character of holiness and justice if he allows sin and rebellion to go unpunished. How many of you notice that whenever God uses a nation to punish his people, he immediately brings judgment upon the nation that he used? What happened to Babylon whenever Babylon came and brought the judgment upon the southern kingdom? Babylon got judged. What happened to the Assyrians? They got judged. It's over and over. The Bible balances the fury of God's vengeance against the sinner with greatness of his mercy on those whom he redeems from sin. His vengeance must never be viewed apart from his purpose to show mercy. He is not only the Elohim of wrath, but must be the Elohim of wrath in order to, for his mercy to have, been, have meaning. Apart from him uh, and himself, the focus of the Tanakh is not on the objects of his vengeance, but on the objects of his mercy, his special possession his very own people with whom he is an eternal covenant, not just until 70 A.D., eternal. There are two ways in which the Most High takes vengeance with regard to his people. First, he avenges his people in the sense that he becomes their champion against the common enemy. Secondly, as the covenant Elohim, he punishes those who break covenant with him. I will smite you seven times, even I for your sins, and I will bring a sword upon you, that shall execute the vengeance of the covenant. <laughs> the vengeance of the covenant. By the way, you don't want to be in that part. Yeah, that's not, you don't want to be in that part, okay? So the Tanakh people are reminded that it is the only Elohim who can champion his own cause without error. Oof. So because of the Tanakh's expression of just hatred against God's enemies who also sought to destroy his people, we tend to feel that the Old Testament teaches one must always hate his enemies. Chris always reminds me of a verse he talks about. No, we're to do what? Feel free to share it if you want. You remind me of this. Get the mic to Chris. Well, I, I forget the exact verse reference, but... It says, do not hate the Egyptian because we were sojourners in their land and do not hate Edom because they're our brother. Ooh. So if we're not to hate Edom, uh-oh. Uh-oh. <laughs> Going back to the Leviticus 26, 40 through 45, he says that you have to confess your iniquity, the iniquity of your forefathers. You have to uh, admit that you have walked contrary to him and he has walked contrary to you. You have to, your uncircumcised heart must be humbled, but, this, but the next step is you have to accept the punishment of your iniquity. There's still a punishment there. <laughs> and we were told that we were an adulterous nation. Our punishment was death. Yes. And it, that is where Yeshua stepped in and died in our place to, to satisfy the covenant. Thank God he's had, he sent us Yeshua to die in our place. That's right. The, the, the covenant, he's holy and it demands justice. Yes, he's not going to let that go unpunished. I wanted to say this. So... Yehushua was rebuking this misapplication and in such places as in 1919, he is, he is really quoting Leviticus 19.18, you shall not avenge or bear a grudge against the children of your people, but love your neighbors as yourself. I am Yahweh. Do not bear a grudge against your people. I think I remember a place that said, everyone that keeps the Shabbat this is a sign that I am your God and you are my people. Everyone that keeps the Shabbat, that's the sign. 
of who the people of his people is, are and who are not. I didn't see anything else there. The Shabbat is the sign. Jeremiah 1.5 says, I have appointed you a prophet to the nations. See, I have appointed you this day over the nations and over the kingdoms. I want to share with you what the Targum says in this verse. See that I have appointed you today over the nations and over the kingdoms to uproot, to tear down, to destroy, and to break down. But over the house of Israel, you will build up and establish. <laughs> over the house of Israel, the northern kingdom, who Yeshua said, I came for the lost sheep of the house of Israel, you shall build up and establish them. Wow. Jeremiah 2.3 says, Israel was holy to Yahuwah, the first of his harvest. All who ate of it become guilty. Evil came upon them, declares Yahuwah. You want to come against those people? Hmm, not good. So in, I think this is 31.3, Moshe spoke to the people saying, Arm men from among you for the war, for they may go against Midian to execute Yahuwah's vengeance on Midian. A thousand from each tribe. Twelve thousand people. Pretty big army. Do you remember what it said, how many of the Israelites died in this battle? Anybody remember? Zero. I don't know about you, but that's the kind of battle I wouldn't mind being in where you're on the right side and no one in your camp's dying, but it's utter slaughter on the other side. Only that could be of divine nature. That is a signature that it was divine, that the Most High would not allow any of his to perish. Yes, please share. Not only was it zero, but by the count of the cattle they brought in, it was against all odds. Yes. Just unbelievable. Yeah, twelve yeah, if you look at if you look at the, the females that were spared, just the virgins, was it thirty two thousand? So we're talking a, a percentage out of the whole thing, thirty two thousand, and you think that the twelve thousand against doesn't God like these numbers? like the, the 300 against the 120,000. He likes these really ridiculous odds because the people walk away so humbled, the nations are watching in such humility like, uh, let's not mess with those folks. They just had 12,000, and those Midianites, there had to have been hundreds of thousands in comparison with the numbers, yes. Would have been ridiculous numbers. What would today's society say about this? Unfair? Let's go on. This gets, it gets really crazy. They did battle against Midian just as he commanded, and they killed every male. Went in and wiped out every single male. Wait a minute. That's not the God I know. He doesn't kill every male. Is this true, or is what people are saying true? We have to choose which one's false. The kings of Midian they killed together with their slain, all kings, five of them, and Balaam too, took him down as well. He was the part of that whole instigation against the children, right? The Israelites plundered the women of Midian and their cattle, all their cities. All the cities? That seems unfair. You took all the cities, killed all the men? Wait a minute. It's not right. Who are we to judge? Who are we to judge? We have to be careful that our rash statement of judgment against events, I'm standing on the wrong side of the fence. I'm actually opposing the Most High. Not only did they plunder the cities, 
but they burned the city. It wasn't just busted up buildings. Burned. Complete burning. Yes. We're focused here as we're attacking a people group, physical. We should also consider that this is not talking of that at all. This is talking of the spiritual. So if you look at Midian, Midian is the name for strife, contention, and judgment. What Midian means. What it's, I believe it's saying here that we are instructed by taking our whole entire being and we're to take war against that in every part of our being and our personality and we are arm ourselves completely from head to toe against this vengeance of strife, contention, and judgment in our life. We're to wipe it out. We're to destroy it. So it's gone and done with. Because we're not to be a people of negativity. We're to be a people of positivity. We're to be a people of blessing and not condemnation. A people of light and not darkness. Adonai wants us to eradicate negativity out of our lives, but be merciless about it. So it's not necessarily focused against people groups. That's right. He wants us to look at ourselves and get the negativity out. Because when Yeshua dealt with the sinner... He was loving to the sinner, but he condemned the hypocrite, those that are attacking Israel. Wow. So, again, I don't know if it's necessarily looking at a people group, but it's looking at us not being negative, yep. not condemning our neighbor, but loving our neighbor, but condemning those the hypocrite that come against our brother Israel. Yes. Oof. Man, that's good. So here we have a, a great little word on getting the leaven out pre-Passover. <laughs> and if that isn't a, a, a little preemptive word from the Most High, here we are two months away from Passover to get the leaven out, we better be careful not to approach Passover with leaven in our hearts and our minds that could be against the covenant, against God's plans, against what He's doing. And I want to approach a feast and a holy day when I've got things in my heart and my mind that is in opposition of him? Oh, that's not good. So he goes out. The rulers of the congregation to meet them outside, and Moses was angry. Upset at the officers who had come from the battle. And he says to them, Have you spared all the women? These caused the sons of Israel through the council of Balaam to trespass against Yahuwah. You know, there's an interesting chiastic structure here in verse 17. And if you notice, I put it, it actually exists in the Hebrew and the Greek. And I want you to see this. A chiastic structure in one verse, both in Hebrew and Greek. So I put out to you, you can see that there's two words on both sides in Hebrew. You've got Yergu and Zakar. And then you've got reversed, zakar and hirogu, which is the same word, just a derivative of it. In the Septuagint, on the very far left, you've got this word, which is apokatanate and arsenikon. And then you've got arsonos, which is the derivative of the other word. And you've got the same word repeated. But look at what word is in the dead center of the verse. Between these two words, the, these, these groups of words that are repeated, the dead center word in Hebrew is isha, and the word in Greek is gunika. Both mean woman. In other words, what the Almighty is telling the people, that the problem, the problem rests solely on what the women did to my people. What the women did to bring them into error, they're the issue. And you brought them back when they were the reason that I sent Moshe in to exact vengeance? you got to be kidding me. I was so stunned that it was both in Hebrew and Greek. I've, I've never seen that before where you see the same chiastic using. So in other words, the Greek understood it, and they duplicated it in the Greek because they understood what was being said in the Hebrew. But the emphasis on this verse is on the woman. Very important. Okay. So therefore, kill every male 
among the little ones, kill every woman who has known man intimately, but all the girls who have not known man intimately, spare for yourselves. So the only thing that makes it is what? Just the females that are virgins. That's it. Everything else has to go. Yes, and we'll go here and then there. Well, I have a lot of thoughts going through <laughs> my head right now. It started from the in-depth study on the heart and the, the word, and the helmet of salvation and the helmet of salvation that was shared, and then what you're sharing. So, I I see a correlation when we make a vow. It, it it's not disconnected from actions. Our vow is often connected to something we're going to physically do. We're going to walk something out. We're going to perform something. And I see that the women that agreed or made the vow that they were going to do this, this was something that they were intent on doing. They had vowed in their heart or their mind or however that looked that they were going to do something. I'm also thinking about an update that um, we viewed from a friend that shared a recent trip to the land. And these words that he shared keep running through my mind. And that was, I'm thinking about this whole little passage that you're reading. And I'm wondering were all these people on the same page and they came together to this battle? What caused them to all come together? The words that our friend shared was that on October 6th, Israel was on the brink of civil war. And on October 7th, they were united. Their common enemy became greater than their personal, political, or religious differences. That no longer mattered. Overnight, their heart was changed that we have an enemy, that our very existence is on the line, that the land that belongs to the Most High, this is a spiritual battle of invasion, mm. and we have to take a stand here. We cannot allow our differences because the enemy that is our common enemy is great against us. And we have to stand and take action. Every available individual is called to action. And we better lay down the things that cause us to think about uh, battling with each other because we have a greater enemy that is a common enemy that we need to turn our focus to, and we need to unite and focus against that spiritual enemy. Amen and amen. Um, so you, when you're talking about the woman here, um, I find it interesting because a lot of times, too, Yahuwah in his word refers to cities as in the female. Um, for instance, Jerusalem, a lot of times he lends uh, female quality to um, the scripture that says, come out of her, my people, talking about Babylon. So I find that interesting that uh, a lot of times it's, it's um, a female yes. type of thing. Yeah. And, um, and harlotry and everything, all these things about woman, yes. the, 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 the woman riding the beast. In right. the, yes. And, and uh, the doctrine sometimes can be uh, as a woman, and I mm -hmm. think that's where the whole virgin kind of yes. thing kind of comes from. So uh, as Yah's people, we don't partake of uh, the doctrine of vain things. And anyway, I have so many thoughts going through my head right now. I'm going to stay <laughs> on point. Um, I, I want to I know, Mark, what you would do with this scripture. Um, it's in Jeremiah, and it's speaking about Judah. Have you forgotten the wickedness of your fathers, the wickedness of the kings of Judah, the wickedness of their wives, your own wickedness and the wickedness of your wives, which they committed in the land of Judah in the streets of Jerusalem? Have they not been humbled to this day, nor have they feared? They have not walked in my law or in my statutes that I set before you and your fathers. Therefore, thus says Yahweh of hosts, God of Israel, behold, I will set my face against you for catastrophe. 
catastrophe and for cutting off all Judah. Okay, and then also while I'm thinking about it too, um, the woman that encompasses a man is that new Yerushalayim, where new Yerushalayim and its pure and its pureness and its undefiledness actually encompasses man. Yes, so, and I would say to this cutting off of Judah, the uh, Babylonians came in, cut them off, took them out. But in that sin and wickedness, did God abandon them? No. So he even told them beforehand that this is going to happen and I'm going to send you off. You're going to be somewhere for 70 years. But at the end of that 70 years, when the, as Gary points out, there's a, there's a, there's a limit to this punishment time. And it's always comes, there's a point that it ends. And so at the end of that time, God says, I'm going to bring you back. And what happened at the end of 70 years? Persia came in, wipes out Babylon, and Cyrus says, hey, you know, I'm going to let you guys go back and build your temple. So God's hand, even though they were punished, he had not abandoned them. They were still his his purpose. Why? He says, it's not because of your righteousness. It's not because of yours. It's because of my name. I'm, I made a note to somebody, and I'm, I'm going to fulfill my oath that I made to my servant Abraham. It comes down to that simple. Yeah, and so God's going to do what he said he's going to do. Praise be to his name, because I can count on that and bank on it. But yes, judgment came, and we bear judgment for the things we did, as Gary points out in the the 1290, and you were reading the book, the 1290, the, this judgment end. I mean, can you imagine, just, just three quick things. And you, we, we, hopefully soon, maybe between Chris and Gary and I, we can present this. But when, when this judgment period ends of the 1290 and the 1260, all these times that are spoken of of this period ends, it comes exactly to 1948 and 1967 is the time that it ends. So if the judgment for Judah ended, the this time period ended at 1948, which happened to be a jubilee year, in my opinion, my reckoning on the, the jubilee calendar, it's just coincidence that this punishment period ends and at the jubilee for people that, people would say, oh, they're not his people. Well, if they're not, all this prophetic fulfillment is sure happening to somebody on Q and on time. So I would say, yes, punishment. We've suffered punishment. As I mentioned, in my sin, God revealed himself to me. So can't he reveal himself to any and everybody? What does he say? I will decide who I'm going to be merciful to and who I'm not. He gets to decide who the mercy comes to. So did I answer your question? Okay. So just a couple more slides, and then we'll close. You shall remove the levy. He talks about the levy here that's going out. What percentage that's going to the priests, what's going to the men of war, what's going to uh, the, the people. Each gets a little uh, piece of the, of the pie. And so my question to you is this. Make sure I didn't miss anything on that one. Why are these topics, the vows being discussed at the gate to the promised land? And I'm giving you the answer in Matthew 5.33. So if you imagine, Yahuwah is about to bring the people in, and he says, you need to watch what's coming out of your mouth. You need to watch your vows. Yahushua is about to die on the stake to enter into a new covenant. So here we have two examples of entering into a new covenant, both at coming across in the promised land because Joshua's going to say, Joshua says clearly, I'm renewing the covenant with you here. Yahushua is going to renew a covenant with the people that have been banished and exiled for 700 and something years. And before each of these, it's about vows. Yeshua says, again, you have heard it say to the ancients were told, you shall not make false vows, but shall fulfill your vows to Yahuwah. But I say, make no oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of Elohim, or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. There's that word footstool. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. 
nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your statements be yes, yes, no, no. Anything beyond these things is evil. So I have a question to you to add to that. Conviction. I haven't thought a lot about the word conviction. But I want to share with you about conviction. And this comes from a brother that Father was referring to that we were listening to on his podcast. It starts and is led by love. If your conviction, which should drive your passion, if it's not starting and led by love, you've got the wrong conviction. Because everything that he stands for, the whole Torah says the whole Torah hangs on love. It's on love. Align your opinions with God's opinions and call it conviction. But if your passion becomes your conviction, you've got it wrong. Your conviction should be your passion, not the other way around. Sometimes we have a passion about something and it's become our conviction and we want to make everybody else buy and own our passion or our conviction but it wasn't his. It, we made it ourselves. It become our self-made, self-proclaimed revelation, and we want everybody to look like us, think like us, and be like us, and that's not it. My question to you is, has your passion missed your first love? Is your passion missing your first love? The Torah and love is Yah's heart. And I want to remind you that the word faith, pistis in the Greek, is a firm persuasion, a conviction based upon hearing and persuasion. It's always used in the New Testament of faith to Elohim or Messiah or things spiritual. My conviction. Where is our conviction at? Is it based on his convictions? Or is it based on what a man told me or someone else said, hey, you know what? Hey, you don't need to eat. That tree is okay. You can eat that tree. I know God said not to do it, but, you know, my conviction is it's okay to eat that tree. Mm. The passion to get to eat became her passion instead of the other way around. Nope, nope. And so here's a, a quote for you. I'll end with this. Is your conviction for sale? God tells you not to steal. There's a dime on my counter here. I'm going to leave the dime here. And you're all going to be walking by. And you all go, no, that's not my dime. God said not to steal it. It's conviction. Now I change it to a $20 bill. Now I change it to $10,000. Now I change it to a lottery ticket for $700 million. That's the winning ticket. Ha has your conviction changed when you walk by? Or is it for sale because it now reached a number that you're like, hmm, it was my conviction, but I can sell it for that. Is your conviction that God's purpose is to redeem and restore all Israel? Or is it for sale? Is your conviction that you will, whatever the Torah says, whatever God has promised, are you going to be convicted to that to no end, to all, no matter what? Or can you compromise it? These are the things I want to leave you with this week to be thinking about, how convicted are we? Is our conviction up for grabs? Can it be twisted? Can it be, can someone come along and say, you know what, Mark, I know that you think that way. I know that that's really your passion, your heart, but I need you to reconsider what Billy Bob down here, he's got a great YouTube channel, and he says something different. Am I going to let Billy Bob persuade me against what I know what the Word says? 
is Billy Bob going to persuade me of what I know that I've read with my eyes? I know what God has said, and can I be persuaded to think contrary? Yes, Gary. You know, we're supposed to follow the example of Messiah. And <laughs> when he was confronted by the adversary, he offered him the whole world. And what did yes. he say to him? To get behind <laughs> me, Satan. That's how we have to live our lives. Because his mind and his heart, his conviction, he said, I do nothing unless I, I do what the Father does. I say nothing unless what he says. I, my conviction is his. My passion is his. And it isn't for sale. Hoo-wee. Gary, you can preach that. The friend that I mentioned that just returned from the land and was giving his update and report and what Mark has shared uh, comes from Michael Clayton, who just went to the land because his heart was convicted that he needed to be there to serve. And he shares on his, uh, I don't know if it's a podcast, but it's Life on Purpose. Yeah. And he came back with a very, very encouraging word. Yeah. Would you stand with me? Now we get to say... Shabbat Shalom. <laughs> Thank you all for joining us. Thank you all here. Now listen, are you guys staying to eat?